Chapter Seven of Cedric the Forester by Bernard Gay Marshall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Chapter Seven: The Outlaws of Blackpool. Twas a fortnight after the fray with the outlaws on the borders of Blackpool Forest, where, all unknowing, we had saved the life of young Sir Geoffrey of Carleton, heir of the house that for so long had been our bitterest enemy that my father and i rode with cedric my comrade and squire and six stout men-at-arms over the hill-road to manorley there our new-made friend sir geoffrey lay recovering from his wound lord mountjoy wore helmet and cuirass and his good two-handed broadsword swung by his side while both cedric and i wore shirts of linked mail and our followers each a quilted shaft-proof leathern jacket cedric carried the crossbow which he had often used to such good purpose and i the sword of damascus steel which my father had riven from a saracen noble in the holy land withal we made a brave array on the woodland roads and one of which the boldest band of outlaws with their bows and bills and coats of lincoln green might well beware but no enemy gainsaid us on the road and at two o the clock we rode across the drawbridge of our good friend and neighbour the lady of manorley she bade us welcome in the courtly manner to which she was bred and ushered us to the great hall geoffrey was reclining in a great chair before the fire and rose to greet us with most joyous face his wound was healing fast as we had known from the messengers who had passed almost daily to and fro but the young lord of carleton was still pale with the bloodletting and could leave his chair no longer than the courtesy of a host demanded as he shook hands with my father the lord of mountjoy his words of heartfelt welcome and the smile on his winsome face made amends for the weakness of his clasp, and I was filled with joy to see that my father warmed to him at once, and for his sake willingly forgot the deeds of the old grey wolf who had been Lord of Carleton. When Geoffrey was again seated, and we had found places on the benches around him, the Lady of Mannerly brought to us some most dainty cakes, and cups of hot mulled wine, serving us with her own hands, as is the custom when guests of quality are welcomed. There ensued an hour of goodly talk, Geoffrey of Carleton plying my father with questions of that which he loves best to speak, the wars for the holy sepulchre's recovery and cedric and i listening or putting in our words as occasion offered geoffrey heard from me the tale of our archer festival and of old marvin's and cedric's wondrous progress with the crossbow then by degrees we came to the story of the day whereon cedric and i and poor old william came upon the outlaw band in blackpool that sought to kill his two retainers and make him prisoner and we lived over again in joy the battle at the forest's edge and the bloody and desperate chase that followed when that tale had been fully told by us three youths speaking sometimes in turn and sometimes at the most perilous passages crying out altogether what had chanced geoffrey turned to me to say but sir richard in the forest where i first saw the Anne cedric at the fire that was a most sweet ballad you did sing can you not raise it again i have a great mind to hear it at this nothing loath i turned my eyes to the rafter and began the lay cedric joining in with his sweet harmonizing did give it a grace which else it had sadly lacked and the hall of mannerly rang with it even as had the little glade in the wood lady mannerly came again to the door of the hall and behind her a half-dozen of her maids and serving-men geoffrey and the others loudly cried encore and the second time my father took up the lay with us 
so it went rousingly into the delight of the whole company when at last we ceased geoffrey declared that the song and the gay and heartening talk withal had done for him more good than all the herbs and poultices of the leech and that with one more day like to this he verily believed he could ride abroad whole and sound our audience departed with the end of the singing and then lord mountjoy spoke most seriously what thou sayest sir geoffrey puts me in mind that in these rough times there is other work for us who are verily whole and sound than this chaffering and singing at a bonny fireside most pleasant though it be i must bestir myself to punish these greedy rascals of the greenwood that set upon to rob and murder all those that go the forest roads not armed to the teeth and in strong company tis said that the unhung varlet that so sorely beset thee hath now no less than seven score bowmen at his back to-morrow i ride to enlist the aid of my lord of pelham with his twenty archers and as soon thereafter as may be to dunwoodie of grimsby the good lady who is now our hostess will doubtless send some men-at-arms and foresters we shall make up a company that can take blackpool wood from all its sides at once and it shall go hard but we send a half hundred of the rogues to their reckoning during this speech the eyes of the young lord of carleton had grown bright as with a fever and he could hardly wait for my father to come to an end before crying out o oh, good mountjoy my friend if thou art my friend indeed stay this goodly enterprise but a few short months or weeks mayhap and let me join with thee this outlaw chief whom now i learn is called the monk slayer from certain of his bloody deeds hath offered both injury and insult to the house of carleton two of my faithful men he slew and me he took prisoner and would have held for high ransom if indeed he spared my life had it not been for sir richard and cedric here and that worthy old archer of mountjoy who met his death fighting in my behalf give me but two short months i ask no more to heal me of my wound and make some practice of arms and i will ride with thee to the hunting of this outlaw and his band with forty men-at-arms and eight score archers from carleton and terramore so shall we make short and sure work of it my father gazed at the glowing face of our new-made friend and plain it was to me that the liking he had at first conceived for the lad suffered nothing from this headlong eagerness to be up and doing with arms in his hands turning to cedric and me with a broad and happy smile lord mountjoy said well lads twas your quarrel and sir geoffrey's at the first what say you shall we risk the scattering and scaping of these rogues by waiting till the fall for him for i plainly see that with all good will he cannot rightly ride and fight before that time in such a rough campaign as this will be oh let us wait father i cried sir geoffrey hath the right in saying tis especially the carleton's quarrel and twill be a fine sight for all the countryside to see the banners of mountjoy and of carleton waving together in so good a cause after all these years of enmity mayhap sir geoffrey will return with usury the arrow-shot he had from those scurvy knaves if so twill not be an ill beginning for his career in arms cedric who was ever of few words nodded his head at this speech of mine and so twas settled among us through the summer months we would strike no blow at the outlaws save in defence but at the fall of the leaf when the woods made not so close a cover we would fall upon them in their fastnesses with all our forces at once and so destroy and scatter them that the woodland roads of the whole county would be free of their kind for years to come a week later sir geoffrey took his way to his great castle at terramore under a strong escort of carleton men-at-arms 
ten days thereafter cedric and i rode thither to pay a promised visit and to talk of the outlaw hunt and our great plans for the days to follow sir geoffrey showed himself a most gracious host and we passed some goodly hours in the carlton hall and in the courtyard where cedric did try most manfully to impart to geoffrey and me some measure of his crossbow skill for my own handling of this weapon i fear that all cedric's and old marvin's teachings are bootless and that never shall i shoot with any certainty but to cedric's huge delight sir geoffrey took to the exercise like one born in a forester's cottage in half an hour he was striking marks at fifty paces that were small enough for cedric's own aim at twice that distance and his instructor was prophesying he would be a bonny archer long before he could well handle a broadsword this i thought likely enough for geoffrey though his age lacked but half a year of cedric's and mine was somewhat lightly built and had not yet the reach and the forearm muscles that make a swordsman twas plain that among us three i should long remain the master with this best of weapons and with this thought to console me i took it not ill that i should prove such a poor third at the archery that night as cedric and i sat at board with my father and mother we were full of talk of the day's doings and i was already planning festival days and nights when the carltons and the mountjoys and all our friends of pelham and of manorley should foregather at mountjoy or at terramore for feasts and dancing in such ways as had been in days of yore suddenly my mother interrupted all this talk and planning with a sober question and the lady of carlton geoffrey's mother did she greet thee full courteously to-day dickon at once i felt as one who treads in icy water where he had thought to meet firm ground nay mother we saw her not at all save for a glimpse at chamber window as we rode toward the drawbridge ah then she was not abroad it seems nay she kept her chamber mayhap she was not well did sir geoffrey make for her her excuse my face as i could feel grew burning red as i made answer nay he said no word of her then lady mountjoy turned to my father who had been closely listening it seems my lord that we shall not soon ride toward terramore my father sadly shook his head and gazed at the board before him he had been glad at heart at the thought of the healed breach between the two houses and now it seemed that all such thoughts were vain mayhap lady carlton will ride over with sir geoffrey when next week he comes to mountjoy as he promised i offered my father again shook his head mayhap she will dickon if so be she shall have the right hand of welcome but much i misdoubt her coming to mountjoy when all is said tis but natural she cannot bring herself to call us friends it was we of mountjoy that did to death her husband and her eldest son and though we know well and have maintained it by oath and by arms twas both in fair battle on our part at least and that they brought their deaths upon themselves yet perhaps tis too much to expect her to credit our words and deeds that give the lie to those of her own house nay i see it now she will never be a friend of mountjoy he sighed deeply and turned again to his carving none of us had more words and it seemed that a cold fog like those that come from the western sea in springtime had settled on our spirits four days later sir geoffrey came to mountjoy attended by a well-armed retinue but his lady mother was not with him and again he said no word of her we made the young heir of carlton full welcome to mountjoy and spent the day with meat and drink and the practice of arms with the crossbow he did even better than before and showed himself not too dull a learner at the foils 
but the gaiety we had had at terramore was not with us at mountjoy twas as if some shrivelled witch had envied us our merriment and put a spell upon us to destroy it something of this sir geoffrey seemed to feel at last and the sun was yet three hours high when he took horse for his return so passed the summer we did not ride again to terramore nor did sir geoffrey come to mountjoy once i learned that he visited the lady of mannerly and cedric and i took the same day to pay our own respects we had much good talk of the outlaw band and of the great day that was now fast approaching but of lady carleton and the new peace that reigned between mountjoy and carleton no word was spoken came a day in fair october that minded me full sharply of that one a year agone whereon i had met lionel of carleton in the woods of terramore the men of mountjoy were easily astir and fourscore strong counting the men-at-arms the crossbowmen and the foresters with their long bows and cloth-yard shafts were making toward their post on the hither side of blackpool wood on our left two furlongs off were lord pelham and his archers to the right the score or so of mannerly retainers and squire dunwoody with half a hundred yeomen on the far side of the forest three leagues away we knew that young sir geoffrey with dour-faced old hubert led nigh two hundred carleton men-at-arms and bowmen and lionel of montmorency a hundred more we were to march in open line converging toward the centre of the wood at grim blackpool any of the robbers found in hiding were to be captured or slain and whichever leader first encountered the outlaws in force was to give three long notes on his hunting-horn then half the forces of all the others were immediately to join him leaving the remainder to guard all lines of possible escape our plans had been well kept secret amongst the leaders not one of our own men knew them until that very morning withal it promised to be a most unlucky day for those cut-throat knaves who had so long cheated the gallows our march was slow as well might be in all those breaks and rocky glens now and again a lurking knave in lincoln green was found and quickly made prisoner or if he made resistance even more quickly disposed of some however were too fleet of foot for capture by our more heavily burdened men and after sending a shaft or two at the line of skirmishers made good their escape into the wood before us twas ten by the sun when we heard from dunwoody far on our right the three long blasts of the horn instantly my father and i took half our men and leaving the rest under old marvin the archer ran through the forest toward the fray afterward we learned to our cost that some of our leaders took not so careful thought of the places of their forces in the skirmish line but rushed off at once to the alarm followed by well-nigh their whole companies leaving in places gaps of a mile or more in what should have been our close-drawn cordon be that as it might ten minutes had not passed before dunwoody with his half-hundred archers was reinforced by a gallant army of bowmen and men-at-arms the outlaws a hundred or more in number and led by the monk-slayer himself had been pressing dunwoody hard the robber chief carrying a sword and wearing the steel cap and breastplate of a knight stood forth from all shelter commanding and exhorting his followers apparently with no fear at all of flying shafts and quarrels the men of dunwoody manor fought from behind trees and rocks and most of them had quilted leathern jackets but they were no match in archery for the outlaws many of whom by virtue of their skill with the longbow had lived for years in the forest and never lacked for venison or greatly feared the sheriff and his men 
half a dozen dunwoody archers already lay weltering on the leaves struck through throat or face with cloth-yard shafts and only one or two of the robber knaves had been likewise served our coming however changed all in a twinkling mountjoy struck the outlaws on one flank just as lionel of montmorency came down upon the other in the time a man would need to run a furlong's length a score or more of the varlets were slain by shafts and crossbow quarrels or by the swords of our men-at-arms fifty more had clapsed their hands above their heads in token of surrender and the monk-slayer and the remainder of his crew had taken flight toward the centre of the forest my father who had been chosen leader by the other nobles now called a halt and sent out a half-dozen messengers to right and left to see and report to him the state of our cordon some of these returned in half an hour with their news while others made the entire circuit of the forest bearing lord mountjoy's commands for the reforming and tightening of the skirmish line and for the delaying of further advance till he should give the word since the scattering of the main body of the robbers a number of the fugitives had been creeping back with their hands tightly clasped over their heads and begging for quarter it was my father's thought that in a day's time these desertions from the outlaw band would be so many that the task of surrounding and taking the remainder and the monk slayer himself would be a light one at two o'clock sir geoffrey joined us with thirty of his men the main body he had left under old hubert on the other side of blackpool he was aching for a sight of the outlaws and deemed our chances of encountering them again better than those along the line he had been guarding sir geoffrey had grown brown and sturdy in the summer just past and had added near an inch to his stature now he handled his crossbow like a skilled archer and was soon in eager talk with cedric over the practice at moving marks our camp was made in a fair and pleasant glen some two or three miles from blackpool we had eaten of the bread and meat in our pouches and sat at ease about our campfires my father having well seen to it that sentinels were posted against any sortie of the enemy suddenly one of these half a furlong away in the wood called out to us and pointed down a pathway to where it crossed a stream a bowshot below our camp there were approaching two men in the lincoln green and bearing a cloth of white which had been tied to a rough pole standard ha cried squire dunwoody here come two of the varlets with a message we shall hear it and if we like it not we'll hang them up to yonder limb nay cried my father angrily we shall do no violence to bearers of a flag of truce be they honest men or thieves tis like the monkslayer begs for mercy but whate'er his message the bearers of it shall return to him unscathed the envoys now approached and bowing low before lord mountjoy delivered to him a folded parchment my father bent his brows upon this for a moment then exclaiming in wrath bade me read it to the assembled company these were the words of the scroll to robert lord of mountjoy geoffrey heir of carleton and other worshipful lords and gentlemen know that my men have this day taken prisoner and now securely hold for ransom elizabeth lady of carleton with two of her attendants some three score of my greenwood rangers are now held captive by you if indeed you have not already done violence upon them these friends and followers of mine i now ask that you freely release without injury or mutilation and that they go free before the sunrise of to-morrow also that you then withdraw all your armed forces from blackpool forest 
then shall the lady and her attendants likewise depart without harm from me or mine if so be you refuse my terms then when the sun is one hour high you shall receive a messenger from me who will bear with him the left hand of the aforesaid lady of carleton if by sunset of to-morrow my men have not been suffered to freely return another messenger shall bring you the lady's right hand my fastness you shall never take if you attempt it at the first alarm the prisoners shall die enough is said to make plain my will those who have had dealings with me will tell you that my word for good or for ill i always keep william of tyndale called by some the monk slayer oh the murderous varlets cried sir geoffrey and i thought it no shame to him that tears streamed down his face they will cut off her hands twere better far that they slew her outright oh to have that bloody villain for a moment within sure aim i would willingly die the instant after how could she have been taken asked lord mountjoy i mind me now replied geoffrey wringing his hands in misery she ever went on saturdays to tend my brother's grave at lanton two miles from our gates and on the forest's edge she was used to take an ample guard but to-day i have taken nearly all our men-at-arms for this expedition she liked it not that i should come and now she has ventured forth without escort and to my everlasting sorrow oh that bloody villain hush sir geoffrey said my father quickly his face working in sympathy with the lad's sore distress they shall not harm thy lady mother if need be and no other way will serve we will e'en release our prisoners and thus pay her ransom a mutter of discontent from some of the other leaders followed this and dunwoodie spoke full surlily seven of my good yeomen have already been slain in this quarrel divers of our friends have lost men also and lord pelham hath been borne homewards with an arrow wound that came near to being mortal shall we have nothing for all this but the freeing of these varlets what wouldst thou do then dunwoodie leave the lady of carleton in the hands of the outlaws dunwoodie only growled in reply and soon my father spoke again this time to the outlaw messengers go to your chief he said and say that we consider his offer but that if the lady of carleton or her attendants be harmed one whit we will hunt him and all his followers to the death even if that hunting takes a thousand men and a year's campaigning let him look to it the messengers bowed again and made their way into the deeps of the forest my father and the nobles that were there gathered about the campfire in deep discussion of this sore dilemma end of chapter seven recording by lynette calkins monument colorado